Good evening. Great to see you. My name's Gareth, part of the team here. So great to be with you as we celebrate tonight a bunch of people um, being baptised. I'm excited. Are you excited? Great. And if you're here supporting one of those um, to be baptised, thank you so much um, for coming and supporting them. Um, We really appreciate that. More importantly, they really appreciate it. Um, So thank you. And if you're a visitor, so great to um, welcome you. As Andrew said, my name's Gareth, part of the team here. Well, I wonder if you've embarked on a Lenten fast. Embarked on a Lenten fast, you're probably thinking, what on earth is he talking about? Why is he talking a foreign language? What's a Lenten fast? I know Andrew's um, referred to it a couple of times. Um, We're not a church that is particularly known um, for very many traditions. Um, I I think probably this year is perhaps the year that we've perhaps um, given more of a focus um, to this Lenten fast idea, which is a good thing. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of a fast. I wonder what comes to mind. It's a four-letter word. It's a short word. It actually feels quite long and drawn out if you've ever done a fast. Um, A little bit like pulling teeth. That's certainly my experience. I can tell you that. Um, I once tried to do a fast diet. Anyone tried to do a fast diet? Again, it wasn't fast, it was long drawn out, would rather have gone to the dentist. Um, If you're familiar with the the fast diet, anyone familiar with the fast diet? Or it's sometimes known as the 5-2 diet. And the basic philosophy of the 5-2 fast diet is that you eat normally for five days of the week, whatever normal is. I can eat quite a lot of food when I consider normal. And then um, for two days of the week, you choose to restrict your calorie intake. Don't really like that word restrict when it comes to food. Anyone else in the house feel like that? And apparently it's between, you restrict yourself to between five or 600 calories dependent on if you're male or female. Ladies, guess which one you get? 500. Chaps, we get 600. An extra 100 calories. That's probably one teaspoon of full fat yogurt. Go figure. Well, I tried it once, nearly died. Of course, I didn't. I mean, I don't look exactly kind of like underweight, do I? Um, But if you are someone that's doing the fast diet, I want to applaud you. Fasting is hard, particularly if you're someone who loves food. The other word I mentioned was Lent or Lenten fast. We talked about that. You may be familiar with Lent. You may not be. You may be someone that's familiar with church and church language. You may not be. Don't worry about that. We are so delighted that you are here. But Lent is um, in the church calendar, a six-week period leading up to Easter. And um, for many Christians, Lent is considered as important as Advent. Advent, again, that period of anticipation, of expectation of the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas. And while Advent is a celebration, a time of great anticipation of the coming of Jesus, Lent is more frequently seen as a time of sort of reverent spiritual preparation. And it's reverent spiritual preparation for the celebration of the death of Jesus but also his resurrection at Easter. 
And Lent, the idea behind Lent is, is that you seek to prepare spiritually. Lent is a time, therefore, of fasting, of giving something up that you might normally indulge in in your daily life. Um, to create space, to create time, to pause. See what I did there? To pause and to reflect on our lives spiritually and to reflect on our own personal walk with God and what Jesus came to do at Christmas, uh, sorry, at Easter. You know, interestingly, outside of the Christian church, Lent is actually becoming quite popular within mindfulness and well-being circles. It's becoming a sort of helpful practice, as I suppose for some New Year's resolutions is, in helping people to reflect on their life, their health, their goals, their ambitions, their desires, their rhythms of life. Well, I wonder if you've, um, you've given up something for Lent? Anyone given up chocolate? Oh, just Luke. Anyone else? I can't see too many hands up there in the balcony. One or two people giving up Lent. Anyone giving up fizzy drinks? No one giving up fizzy drinks. Oh, anyone giving up TV? No. Netflix? Oh, yes. Well done. Well done. A few TV. Alcohol? Anyone giving up alcohol? The blinds are giving up alcohol. Don't go around for their, to their house for dinner in the next six weeks. Um, I did that a couple of years ago. Actually, it was quite a profound spiritual experience for me. Coffee? Anyone giving up coffee? Yeah, coffee and wine, Nikki. Oh, dear me. Pray for Andrew. Absolutely. Um, I know some people that are choosing to give up shopping for clothes. Um, one or two people I know um, giving up negativity. That's an interesting thing to consider giving up, isn't it? Clearly, the person um, that I know of, um, clearly that is a particular thing for them. Gossip. I know some people are giving up gossip. And um, I know one or two people... <coughs> Excuse me, um, it's the thing that I'm doing and giving up social media um, for Lent. Well, whatever our view of fasting and Lent might be, whether you're a Christian or not, or if, um, the truth is that I think many of us would recognise that in a world of rapid change with increased retail therapy and the apparent heightened indulgences that are offered to us every day by consumer product marketeers, you know, if we only have this, if we only have that, if we only do that, then actually we'll be so much more happier. The reality is that for many in the UK, our lifestyle choices can often lead to spiralling patterns of lack of self-control, leading some people into serious debt, high levels of anxiety or stress, obesity and addictive lifestyle choices. We may be living beyond our means, overindulging in alcohol, drugs, gambling, whatever our vice might be, but where does it lead us? And we will see some of that next week here in Cheltenham during race week. Once I had the privilege of um, meeting a great godly man, the former Bishop of London, Lord Chartres. He was the, um, the man, here he is. Looks a little bit like Gandalf, speaks like Gandalf. And he said this in a recent article I read around Lent. He said, our deepest and truest nature as human beings is as persons who are unique and precious, but who have been created for 
uh, No, that's not that quote. This quote. If we live as solitary individuals bent on acquiring happiness by a hectic whirl of activity, consuming more and more things and possessing more and more people, we end up leading a dead life. You see, we may think that we are living life to the full, but could it be that we're killing ourselves and the created order? And he goes on, he says this, our deepest and truest nature as human beings is as persons who are unique and precious, but who have been created for unpossessive love and for whom fullness of life comes when we go beyond ourselves to accept the searing and transforming love of God as we see him in Jesus Christ. Could it be that rather than purchasing 365 days of positive thinking that might help us in our chaotic life or whatever the latest spiritual book on personal well-being and happiness is, could it be that within Christianity, that somewhere within the, the Christian tradition of Lent lies the solution to some of our modern day causes of pain and unhappiness. Traditionally, the 40-day period of Lent is symbolic with the time when Jesus himself spent time in a desert following his baptism, where Jesus fasted and prayed before he began his public ministry. So before he embarked on any of his preaching and teaching and performing of miracles, Jesus was led by God the Holy Spirit into the desert for a time of being with his father on his own. A time where he abstained from food, where he fasted. So I want us to look at that instance where Jesus himself went into a Lent period. So if you've got a Bible, um, turn it on, or there are some here at the front if you want. Turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. If you don't, don't worry, the words will appear on the screen behind me, I am sure. Here we go. Jesus, chapter four, verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days and at the end of them, he was hungry. Go figure. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to if you worship me. It will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up 
in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Just a little bit of background to this passage that we've just read. Keep it open if you would. The temptation of Jesus is in essence the last preparation event before Jesus begins his public ministry. And it's intimately connected with the declaration of God the Father to Jesus about his identity as the son of God at his baptism. Takes place just in the previous chapter. You can look at that if you've got your Bible open in Luke 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him from in the form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. See, before Jesus does anything of significance, before he begins his public ministry, which many people began to flock around to see him, Jesus knows three things. He knows that he's a son. He knows that he's a son. In fact, he's the son of God the Father. Secondly, he knows that he's loved. He's loved. And thirdly, that his father is pleased with him. I wonder if you know that for yourself today. I wonder if you know that truth. You know, those that are about to be baptized in a few minutes, they have come to realize for themselves that they are children of God that they have a perfect heavenly father who loves them unconditionally and he's pleased with them. He delights over them. In fact, in the Old Testament, it says that God the father sings over his people with joy. Do you know that you are a child of God who is deeply loved and your heavenly father is pleased with you? Do you know that here tonight? And this is really important that we should know this biblical truth. Why is it important? It's important because it means that your heavenly father will do everything within his power, and he has a lot of power by the way, to make sure that you know his love for for you. And in fact, as we move towards Easter in the church calendar when we celebrate the death and resurrection. God the Father has demonstrated fully the extent of his love for you in allowing his son Jesus to die for you, to take your place for all the things that you have done in rebellion to God the Father in your life so far. That is how reckless God the Father's love is for you. And he wants you to know that he is your father, that he loves you and that he's pleased with you. I wonder if you know that. 
Jesus at his baptism, having been anointed by the Spirit, and he's full of the Spirit, is led by God, the Spirit, and he faces Satan. Satan who, um, in the Bible, we know is the supreme adversary of God. And um, often I think when we come to this story, if you're familiar with this, this, this account of the temptation of Jesus, we look at the story and we think, well, Jesus was only tempted three times. When actually what Luke says is that for 40 days, he was tempted. One of the things that the Bible is clear that is that Jesus, God's son, was without sin. He may have been tempted, but he did not fall into sin. Jesus was, in, was tempted for the whole entire 30 days. I wonder if you've been tempted today. I wonder if you were tempted yesterday, the day before this week. I wonder what are some of the ways in which the, the enemy might want to bring you down. I wonder in what ways um, do you, does the enemy kind of like twist and, and, and have a go to try and bring you down before God. Jesus knows what that is like. He was tempted in that period of 40 days and I'm sure he was tempted beyond that in his life and his ministry. And here in Luke chapter four, we have like the culmination of the enemy's assaults on Jesus. And in the first recorded account of the temptation in verses three to four, we, uh, we read that the enemy saying, if you're the son of God, he's throwing a challenge. I mean, if you really are, surely you can do this. You can turn these stones to bread. And Satan is asking, in essence, he's basically saying, you know, why should the son of God have to suffer in the wilderness in, the, in this way? If you're God's son, surely, you know, you could present a steak with peppercorn sauce and potato dauphinoise and, you know, it would be okay. Jesus chose to fast. It was his decision. He wasn't, whilst there may have been challenges for him, because he experiences the same challenges that you and I face because he was a human. It was God incarnate. And Satan tried to tempt Jesus to demonstrate his power, to show his power as a way of acknowledging his identity as the son of God. Well, surely if you are the son of God, you can do this anyway. And Jesus' reply, as in the following temptations, begins with, it is written. It's here in God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone. Meaning satisfying one's need for food is not as important as trusting and obeying God. In fact, in one of the other gospels, in the gospel of John, you know, Jesus' food, he says, is to do the will of the Father. My food, my nourishment, the way I am encouraged and the way I feed in my life, my spiritual journey, is to do the will of the Father, to trust him. I wonder if that could be said of you and I. You know, for those of you that have embarked on um, maybe a fast at Lent, you might be fasting from a meal and you will experience um, you know, some hunger pangs, I am sure. But more importantly, during this period of spiritual preparation, I wonder if you're feeding off God's word. I wonder if you're delving in 
to a greater sense of devotion and prayerfulness with God. The second recorded temptation that Luke gives us involves Jesus being shown all the kingdoms of all the world in a moment in time. And the enemy, Satan says, to you I will give all of these kingdoms. And Satan actually claims to have all the authority and all the glory of the kingdoms. Truth is, is that the enemy, Satan, is a liar. And he tries to distort and he tries to take on what is not his to tempt us. It's one of the tactics of the enemies. Because God is the one who has all ultimate authority and glory. All authority belongs to him. And this is a temptation for Jesus to break the first commandment, to fall down and worship another God. And Jesus replies that worship belongs to the Lord your God. And you know, it's only as I read this, this time in preparation, that I, that I just wonder Jesus isn't just speaking a truth about himself that his worship is to worship God. But he's actually challenging Satan himself to say, you are to worship your God. Satan, a fallen angel who would have known what it was to worship God. Jesus is saying, you worship God. He is, Satan, your God. And you are choosing in rebellion not to worship Third um, temptation, that final temptation, takes place on the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Down below is the Kidron Valley, a couple of hundred meters down below. And this time, the enemy tries to take on Jesus' um, strategy to quote the Bible, to quote the Old Testament, to quote, to quote stri- scri- scripture. Thank you. Back to him. It is written, he says. But Satan as he often does, distorts the truth of God's word. And the psalmist didn't mean that a person should attempt to force God to protect them. And Jesus replies, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Because if God does love us truly and unconditionally as the Bible teaches, then he will be there for us. He will want the best for us in our lives and he will work his power and his presence so that we might grow and know him personally. In this last temptation, the devil, the devil offered Jesus an opportunity for popularity. You know, do something spectacular. Give them a show. Jesus wasn't giving people a show when he performed miracles and healings. He was demonstrating what life should look like as a follower of Jesus who embarks on living life in the kingdom of God. Each of Satan's temptations were in essence an assault on Jesus' identity as God's son. And that's the same tactic, by the way, that the enemy tries on you and I if you're a follower of Jesus tonight. He wants to try and rob us of our divine identity as sons and daughters of God. 
But for Jesus, you see, his relationship with God the Father is paramount. It's what's most important to him. Over and above anything else that the world may have to offer, it's his personal relationship with God the Father. It's that intimate relationship with God. Could it be that for you and I, could it be that deeper intimacy with God the Father by growing in a personal relationship with Jesus through perhaps some of the practices of prayer and silence and reading the Bible, giving more space, could it be that those things, those, those Christian practices are all a part of a solution for removing some of the chaos in our lives. And ultimately, ultimately, the solution is in the object of our devotion in God, in Him. You know, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you might consider exploring what life might look like for you with a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus. What might that look like? What might God do in your life? We just had um, a bunch of us have just been away on um, Alpha. Um, we've just had an away day and we just had a great time yesterday where people were just encountering God, the Holy Spirit. Those who are being baptized in a moment are going to talk about how Jesus has changed their lives for the better. If you are here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to listen to those testimonies. Listen to those stories of how God has broken into people's lives and transformed their lives. That was my story 35 years ago. Never look back. Best decision I've ever made in my life. I wonder if that might be your decision tonight. I just want to finish with one thing. And that is that when Jesus was led by God, the Holy Spirit, he, Luke tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit in verse one. And after this period of temptation, after this period of um, rebutting all the enemy's temptations upon Jesus, Luke wants to point out to us that when Jesus left the wilderness, he began his ministry in the power of the Spirit. And this word that he's used in the New Testament is a word duname, and it basically is where we get those, the, the, the same words that, that we use in our, in our English language of dynamite, of dynamo. There was power, there was, there was the miraculous that began when Jesus came out of the wilderness. And my understanding of what happened in the wilderness as Jesus rebutted all the temptations of the enemy was that Jesus consecrated himself to God. He said, I'm going to abstain from all the trappings of the world 
and I'm going to pursue you and give you everything. And as Jesus made that consecration of himself, the power of God came. And he had all the resources of God at his hands to do all that God had purposed and planned for him. And that is the same for the church and for Christians today. That we have that same power available to us today as we walk obediently with him. And for those being baptized tonight, we're gonna pray for you at the end that God would fill you to overflowing with the power and presence of his spirit to help you live your life for his glory in the way that Jesus did. If you're here tonight and um, you know that you are not someone that has been following Jesus, you know that you don't have that personal relationship with God, I wonder if you would say yes to God tonight. Might be that you've been a Christian and you've, you've wandered away from God. I wonder if tonight would be the time to come back to God. To say yes. I want to consecrate my life. I want to give my life totally and utterly to you and for you. You might be here and you've got no church background at all. You're amazed that you're in this building. But there is something in here of the presence of God and you know you need that presence of God in your life. If you fit with either of those two categories of people, I want to invite you as we've got our heads bowed and eyes closed to pray a very simple prayer with me. I'll... um, Pray the prayer line by line and pause at the end so you can say it quietly in your own heart. Encourage you to say amen to this at the end. A yes to Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you came for me that you came to show me what life was like in relationship with God the Father. I am sorry that I've lived my life in the way that I wanted to. I'm sorry for the mistakes I've made. I'm sorry that I've not lived my life for you. Please forgive me. Please come into my life today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to live my life for you today and onwards.